Yo, what is up? You have found We Like the Blazers. I am Brandon Golder. Ryan is out today, but here, capably filling his shoes, we have Blazers play-by-play radio announcer, Travis Demers. Travers, what's up, man? Travers. Travis is calling Travers now. Is that fine? Hey, you know what? I, I've been called worse. So uh, it's usually people who mispronounce my last name, but that, that's all right. We're good. I'll go with Travers. What's the most common mispronunciation of your last name that you hear? Demers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Demers, Demers. Uh, one time I was playing in a, a, an all-star game when I was 18, and they must have written down my name wrong on the scorecard because I guess the PA announcer thought that it, that it was a P instead of an R, and they called me Demeps. And I'm, I'm walking <laughs> up from the on-deck circle, and I just kind of stopped and like, what? Like, they let us pick out our, our walk-up music and everything, and, like, I'm walking up to, you know, this was but 1999. So I'm walking up to Eye of the Tiger and I'm like, all right, I'm getting pumped and I hear now batting Travis Demeps. What? Come on, man, really? But, but that, it is what it is. That makes me think of the Moore's Moops thing from Seinfeld when, yes. you know, George is playing Bubble Boy. Um, <laughs> Moops. Exactly. Moore's, yeah. Uh, well, uh, Travers Demeps, appreciate your yes. time, man. Uh, well, I wanted to ask, I mean, I wanted to hit on the Blazers getting some assistant coaches and obviously, you know, filling out um, head coach Chauncey Bill's staff. But I wanted to start by asking you, you know, we are all kind of still working through the pandemic. A lot of us are still working remotely. Some people have started to go back to the office. It's actually an odd time because I think that a lot of workplaces are trying to reckon with, oh, like it's actually kind of nice to give people flexibility to work from home, but yeah. we actually kind of want to see you back in the office now. Um, but I wanted to ask you what your experience was like over the last year and change, because I imagine that your job is much different and probably a lot harder to do when you're not able to actually be there in arena and trying to do this stuff remotely. So maybe just in a general sense, like what has been kind of the trickiest thing of trying to work during this time of, of doing so many things remotely? And what is it that you're looking forward to most as we come into the 2021-22 season. Yeah, it was weird at first, right? Because we had the bubble and we had, what, the three um, exhibition games and then the seeding games and then the play-in and the playoffs. And during that, like, one of the most difficult things was when the audio and video didn't sync up, right? Yeah. So if we were getting a feed from Orlando and the audio was a second ahead of the video. I'd be talking about, okay, Dame would be, hadn't even taken a shot yet, and you could hear the ball go through the net. <laughs> and that would be kind of awkward. That didn't happen, though, once this season started, right? Everything was all synced up. It was great. Um, honestly, like, it, it wasn't that difficult to call games off of a monitor because you're seeing all the same stuff. And we were fortunate enough to where we had the same TV broadcast that everybody had, and then I had a second monitor that apparently not every other team had. Uh, we just, because of where we were set up, and we were actually set up for road games in the same exact seats we were in for, for home games. So we didn't have to change our setup at all in terms of where we were sitting. Um, so the we second, had another the second monitor was like a different view of the court or what was that? Sorry. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And it was, it was based on whatever they were shooting there. So in some places it was a, a wider angle view than other places, but that was always on. So if there was a replay that covered something up, I was still able to see it on the other monitor. Um, so like there were times where uh, there'd be a basket and then a replay and on the TV monitor, you wouldn't pick up action until they were already on the other side of the court and into a play. I was still able to just look from one monitor to the other and see what was going on the whole time. 
some of those monitors didn't show everything. So the hardest thing for me was when there was a foul off camera or mm -hmm. if there was something that like the the thing that broke out in game two of the Denver series where there were a lot of technical fouls and pushing and shoving, a lot of that stuff happened off camera. So I never saw what actually happened. And, and that was the tough thing. And like I was I saw on Twitter the other day that John Sterling, the Yankees announcer, um, he's still calling games remotely. And there was a game against the Mariners where he called the home run and didn't realize that it was a replay <laughs> of an Aaron judge home run from earlier in the game. No. He's, oh, well, uh, that was a replay. Good replay. Sorry. And I just kind of laughed at that because they were like that angle didn't look any different than the normal broadcast angle. Fortunately, the replays that we got were different. So you can tell the difference, right? But there, there were some things that, that you missed. So in terms of the, the game action itself, it wasn't that big of a deal. Okay. What made it tough was, not being able to see stuff that happened off camera or be able to see the officials at the scorers table or see players walking to the scorers table and know who's checking in and things like that. And then for home games, when there were no fans, it was, it was just strange because you got the, the crowd noise and we got it pumped into our headsets and it didn't sound all that different to us, but it felt different, right? You've been in there when there were 20,000 people in there and you can literally yeah. feel the vibration when you don't have that. It's just weird. So when we got 2,000 and then 8,000 and 10,000 fans, it felt like a packed house. So what, what I'm looking forward to is just feeling the environment for road games. And hopefully we get that opportunity yeah. this year. And just it adds to the broadcast, not just what you hear, but the picture that you can paint when you can actually see everything that's going on right in front of you. That's actually, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned that because you were mentioning kind of the, the, the feeling that you get from people being in the arena and like physically, I mean, the vibrations yeah. of it, obviously. Um, I mean, how, I mean, does that impact your play calling? Like, it, it, do you feel like, is it easier to pump yourself up when you can feel that energy? Are you feeding off of it as an announcer and trying to paint that auditory picture for people who are not there? Like, does that, is that helpful for you? It, it is, and, and it's not. It, it is because how can it not help, right? When yeah. you've got 20,000 fans cheering you know, for the Blazers, or if you're in a, an opponent arena and you can hear them go quiet and you can tell that story. Um, but for me, it, I don't think it affected my calls all that much because I kind of get locked in. And then like during a break, I take my headset off and it's like dead quiet. I'm like, what is going on here? Because me, Michael Holton, and Jay Allen were literally the only people in the entire bowl. Right. The court was out there. There was nobody there. There's nobody anywhere else. It's just the three of us. You take your headset off and it's dead quiet. But in your ear, you can hear the crowd noise. Sometimes we would come back from break and the crowd noise wouldn't come in until a few seconds later and things like that. So it, it does help. And I don't want to relay the message that, oh, we don't need to travel because we do. I don't want my bosses or the yeah. league or anybody to hear anything about that. But uh, I, I don't think it was a drastic difference, but it was definitely a difference. And I wonder, like, and I, I'm trying to, I want to be mindful of how I frame this, but I mean, you're a younger dude, right? And so, yeah. I mean, you grew up with technology. I imagine that there may be other folks who who work jobs um, who may not be as used to working in an environment where they are running off screens. And, like, I get that, like, broadcasting, there, there's a, a technological component to that always has been and always will be, so maybe that doesn't matter. But, like, without naming names, I mean, have you found that there are other folks who have had a tougher time during this time and maybe you're just better suited for it or does it really just kind of vary on the person or I don't know. 
Yeah, to your point, I think I'm like the fourth or fifth youngest guy in the league doing this for radio, and I'm going to be 40 in October. Yeah. Um, so most of the people that are doing radio in the league are in their 40s, 50s, 60s, Al McCoy, who's 88. And some guys that I've talked to, yeah, they're like, I, I, I don't want to do this. This is ridiculous. Because yeah. they, they've been doing it for 20 years. Right. Right. This was year two and a half for me. But I also grew up doing play-by-play of the video games that I was playing and things like that. So, like, I, nice. I had that experience. And, you know, Al McCoy didn't have video games growing up, so he wasn't, he wasn't doing that. And this is year 49 for him. So when you do something for 47, 48 years exactly the same way, essentially, and then you're asked to do something different, it's it's hard to change. So yeah, there there are definitely some other broadcasters out there who had a more difficult time than I did with it. So wait a minute, uh, doing play by play of video games. What video game lent itself best to you doing play by play with it? Oh man, so I'm I'm going way back, like to you know early '90s, late yep. '80s for me. And you know there was a lot of uh, RBI baseball. There was a ton of NBA Jam. Um, Okay, so you're not doing play-by-play of like Battletoads or Mega Man or anything. You're talking no, it was no, 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 no. It was it was all it was all sports games. Like now, the only games that I play are are 2K and MLB The Show. I don't do the play-by-play of those anymore. But it was it was all it was all sports games that I did the play-by-play for. It wasn't like Castlevania. <laughs> I could just, yeah, I can imagine you do like a play-by-play of like Mario Kart and like people doing battle right. mode, like kicking the pontoons off. Um, yeah. Anyway, oh god, that'd be funny. Uh, okay. Well, yeah, I mean, so speaking of, here's my brilliant transition. Speaking of the upcoming season, uh, the Blazers find themselves a team in transition as well. They let go of longtime head coach, Terry Stotts. They brought in Chauncey Billups, who was an assistant with the Clippers for a year. And now we have learned that Chauncey Billups is filling out his assistant coaching staff. They just hired Scott Brooks, who was the coach for the Wizards and was the longtime coach of the Oklahoma City Thunder. And they also, I think it was either yesterday or today. I'm on East Coast time, so stuff is happening on Twitter. I'm like late or early. Um, Roy Rogers, who was also an assistant with the Clippers, um, worked with a couple other teams and notably uh, worked pretty closely, I think, with Jeff Bizdelic, um on the Rockets, yeah. uh, with Bizdelic being kind of a defensive uh, guru. Um, so what do you think, maybe start general and then we can zoom in, like, if the Blazers roster doesn't change a ton, and I understand that it totally could, maybe CJ gets traded, maybe any number of other things happen. Um, a couple guys may choose to resign here or not. Um, what are your kind of general expectations for this team? And then we can talk about the coaches, but um, on the one hand, there is kind of a decent amount of change. On the other hand, your best player is still Damian Lillard yeah. and that the team is probably going to look um, like a team that functions around a player like Dame. So yeah. What are your expectations for the Blazers coming into the season? It's, it's hard to give general expectations for a couple of reasons. You know, if I'm looking at just the, the roster right now, because we don't know what those changes are going to look like. So it's well, not that I can't talk about potential trades, but for, for the purpose of the conversation, you can't just predict them all right, right. now from here. <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. No, I, I can't do that. So what we okay. know is Norman Powell is a free agent. Carmelo Anthony and his Cantor are free agents. Um, Derek Jones Jr. Hasn't opted in or opted out yet. So we can make assumptions, but we, we don't know. So we know that there is going to be some kind of roster turnover. And all you have to do is look at the last couple of years and just see how much roster turnover there's been. And there has been a ton. So what are the expectations of this team? Last year, Nurk missed 35 games. CJ McCollum missed 25 games. And they were the sixth seed. 
So my, ex my expectations would be is if they are totally healthy, I think this is anywhere from a 50 to a 55 win team, somewhere in that ballpark. And I think anything less than 50 would be disappointing with the roster constructed as it is right now. What does that mean for the playoffs? It should hopefully mean you're a top four seed. It should hopefully mean that you have home court advantage in the first round. And as we saw this year, anything can happen, especially with injuries. And I think you could be looking at a team that if everything breaks right, again, could go back to the Western Conference Finals. Um, I, I think there are some, some things that, that need to change a little bit, certainly. But, you know, I was talking about this with Chad Doing on our show the other day. Can coaching by itself, making a change at coaching, yep. can that alone make you better or take you to another level? That's what I was going to ask answer, you next. <laughs> right. It, it can if you have the right staff. But it doesn't always work out that way. Look at, you know, and people point to, to Tom Thibodeau, right, in, in New York with the Knicks. But that roster isn't the same roster that there was last year. Yeah. Right. There are some like Julius Randle was so much better this year than he was the year before. But there were other pieces that changed. Emmanuel quickly was such a huge part of that team. And, you know, uh, th there were a lot of things there, but they got quite a bit out of Derrick Rose, too. Um, they did. So. And that was a midseason pickup. That's right. For Austin Rivers. Kind of wish that trade didn't happen if you're Blazers. Yeah. Fan. Uh, <laughs> but you, you look at what Steve Kerr did with the Warriors. Right. He as soon as he came in. The roster was generally the same, and they were infinitely better under Steve Kerr and became a dynasty. The Bucks with Mike Budenholzer coming in for Jason Kidd. And I know a lot of people look at Budenholzer right now and, and are criticizing him, but what were they before he got there? And I know the Bucks roster is different this year than it was last year, but Budenholzer comes in, and they're the favorite in the Eastern Conference all of a sudden after Jason Kidd was there. Yep. So th there, there are plenty of examples over time where – a change in the coaching staff, and it's not a knock on Terry Stotts. Sometimes a different voice, a different ear, a different type of voice makes a big difference. So there are plenty of examples where it absolutely works, and then there are other examples where it doesn't look at, you know, Doc Rivers to Teron Lowe. Well, let me ask you this way. Uh, there's a, a pretty large contingent on Blazers Twitter that believes, if not for Terry Stotts, that this roster would have been much better, that they believe that this roster under Damian Lillard has been underachieving pretty significantly, and it's because of Terry Stotts and that nearly any other coach would help them be a better team. Do you believe that? Do you think that this team has been underachieving under Terry Stotts to a significant degree? I think you can make that case, but I think you can also make the case that Terry Stotts took a team that was without one of their best players to the Western Conference Finals with two guys in the starting lineup that don't get playing time anywhere else and can't stay healthy in Alfred Camino and Maurice Harkless. Like Alfred Camino and Maurice Harkless were starters on a team that went to the Western Conference Finals. Right. And he, Terry Stotts doesn't deserve any credit for that. There are some things that you can look at with what Terry did and say, this could have been different. That could have been different. That could have been better. The defense specifically. And look, they had good years defensively under Terry Stotts. Uh, a few years ago, uh, the year they lost to New Orleans in, in the first round, they were a top six defense in the NBA. The last two years were, were about as bad as you can get. Yep. But again, two years ago, there were a ton of injuries. And a lot of the players on that team two years ago aren't even in the league anymore. Yeah. Right? And then this year... You were missing Yusuf Nurkic for about half of the regular season. And once he was healthy and Norman Powell came in, they were a top, what, 18 defense. Is that good enough? No. 
but it's not 29th, 30th in the NBA. And in the, in the postseason, when Nurk was on the floor, it was a disaster defensively. I think it's unfair to put it all on Terry Stotts. I really do. Because a lot of the players that came through had the best years they've ever had in their careers here in Portland, and then they go on to somewhere else, and they flame out, or they're not as successful. Terry Stotts was not perfect, and the defensive side of the ball was definitely an issue for a, a chunk of his time here, but I don't think you're, you can bring in some different coach and then all of a sudden this team's winning a championship with the same roster the way that it's been constructed. And really, who, who is that guy? Because if you're saying, well, if they brought in an elite coach, would they be better? Yeah, of yeah. course they would. But how many elite coaches are there in the NBA and how many of those elite coaches are are available? Like if you said, if Greg Popovich is here, this team is going to be a championship team. I probably still wouldn't buy that, but I think there's a much better chance of that happening, but he's not here. I mean, remember we, we heard some rumblings about Spo and obviously that didn't, that didn't work out, but that would be another coach you might look to, to say, Hey, they could really elevate. Listen, I got to yeah. say though, I don't appreciate this thoughtful, earnest take from you. I'm going to need a hot take black or white. Tell me, do you love Terry Stotts? He's the greatest coach ever. Do you hate him? And you think he's just a bottom feeder? No, I'm just kidding. I, I'll, I'll get, look, I'm, I'm not a hot take guy. And I think that's why it works well with Chad because he well, is such it. a hot take guy. And then I got to bring him back down to reality. But on a personal level, I love Terry Stotts. You know, he, he treated me right away. Like when I was filling in for wheels, he never once treated me like I was a fill-in. Uh, he asked me about my family. He would, you know, he'd text me on my birthday. He would take screenshots of things on Instagram of pictures of me and my kids and, and give me crap about stuff. Like there was one picture of my son and I watching a, an army football game last year. And I had all these out, you know things plugged into one outlet. And he, he, he screenshotted it and said it to me. He's like, hey, you, you need to get a power strip or your house is going to catch on fire. Just like give me crap like that. He was <laughs> he was an awesome guy to get to know. Yeah, he's a good dude. Um, well, how do you feel just kind of generally? So, you know, got Coach Billups. We've yeah. I, both of us have talked about that separately. I haven't had a chance to really think too much about Scott Brooks in particular. And I, I mean, I understand for a first time head coach like Billups and particularly someone who's only been on the sideline for one year as an assistant doesn't mean he's not brilliant. Doesn't mean he's not gonna be a good coach, but with not a ton of experience, I think it does make sense to bring in someone like Scott Brooks, who has a ton of head coaching experience, has coached stars, has coached yep. successful teams. Um, kind of what's your gut feeling kind of good, bad, or indifferent on Billups bringing in Scott Brooks. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just going to be honest about this. I have not read any articles, anything. I was camping the last few days and then I played golf, you know, was it yesterday? I don't know. That all blends in. Yeah. So I haven't read anything. All I saw was that Scott Brooks is going to be hired. I haven't seen anything official yet either. So I'll, I'll phrase oh, it. If Scott Brooks okay. is the guy. So if, if it is Scott Brooks as the lead assistant, I think it's a good move. Um, like you said, he is he has managed egos before. And you think about it on the same team, he had Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant, James Harden, all those guys in the same team. And he took that team to a finals. It's supremely talented, but that's not everything, especially for a very young team like they were nine years ago. He took a team in the Wizards that had been a disaster for a long time. And with Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook and a bunch of castoffs, took that team to the playoffs. Um I don't know much about his X's and O's. I really don't know much about him as a coach because I just haven't paid that much attention to him. Sure. But I don't think it's all that relevant, to be honest, because for Chauncey Billups, that associate head coach, that lead head coach, 
there will be some X's and O's there, but I think that's more about him learning on the job and having somebody who's been there for 12 years, who has been deep in the postseason, who has been in different markets and worked with different stars. I see that more as an administrative type of things. Yeah. So you could you could tell me that he's the worst X's and O's coach that you have ever seen. I don't. I'm, I'm not going to tell you otherwise. I, I don't know. I don't agree with that, but. I don't think it's all that relevant because I think that's somebody that Chauncey needs to rely on on the day-to-day in situations that he hasn't dealt with. And I think that's the more important thing with somebody like Scott Brooks. I think that's a really good call. And I I should check myself too, because I didn't like it at first when it first came out, but your point is a good one. And I mean, coaching is not just about X's and O's. Like you said, there's an administrative, there's an ego management part, the mechanisms of how is it that you lead a team and get the most out of players when there are just limited minutes. And particularly for a team that wants to win, which as long as Damian Lillard is here, Blazers are going to try to win, obviously. Um, Yeah, I think that that's a fair point. Let me ask you one more thing and then I'll I'll get you out of here and I appreciate your time. Um, You know, you have worked with a lot of different folks around the league. You have colleagues mm-hmm. who are broadcasters, reporters, and you know, players, coaches, like I'm sure that you've met a lot of people that, that folks like me are never going to met, uh, never going to meet. And so you probably have a sense of the dynamics of NBA teams and how they run. Yeah. Uh, how important are assistant coaches and particularly associate head coaches like, how important is it to have a healthy dynamic there to have a balance of skills? And from what you've seen so far, I know that again, it's not official, but if we were to assume that the Billups is bringing on Brooks and Rogers, like mm-hmm. how do you feel about that dynamic? Um, and yeah, just how, how important is it that that be filled out? Yeah. First with, with Rogers, like I I've seen some comments about, him and how you know how he was with Bizdelic, and then when Bizdelic left and he went to New Orleans, like his job is not going to be to be the the quote defensive coordinator from from what I understand, right? I see him more as somebody who is a big man coach. And you look at what he did with Clint Capella in Houston, what he did with the Vita Zubats in LA this year. If Nurk is still on this team, which right now he obviously is under contract, and all he does is make Nurk better, I'm good with that. Right, because yep. Chauncey is the defensive mind, right? If if Scott Brooks is the offensive guy, or another assistant is an offensive guy, Chauncey's the defensive guy, and Rogers is the big man coach. I'm I'm good with that. I want to see what the whole staff looks like because the, the whole staff is very important. And you know, I, I didn't quite realize it till I started doing this because like post game interviews, right? At at home, we would always have Terry Stotts and an assistant coach. Uh, an assistant coach after a win um, every game. And the the assistant, it was based on whose job it was to game plan for the opponent. So one day it would be Jim Moran. One day it would be Dale Osborne. One day it would be John Yim. And so each of those coaches have different assignments, right? If, if you've got a six-game road trip, you're going to have a different coach whose lead job it is to game plan for each of the first three or first four of those games in the road trip. So it's one coach. Like if you're, let, let's say you're on an East coast road trip and you start in Miami, you go to Orlando, you go to Charlotte. It's going to be one coach's job to have the, the lead game plan going into that game. Interesting. And with that, it's to my assumption, it's based on which coaches skills is, is going to work best with, the opponent that team right so if, yeah. if, if you're facing a team that 
is really fast and gets up and down the court, or you're facing a team that's really good inside the paint. I, I think which coach is game planning for those games is going to vary based on that. So if the coaching staff does begin with Chauncey Billups, obviously, and then has Scott Brooks and Roy Rogers, what does the rest of the staff look like? So I, I don't want to make any, uh, you know, uh, umbrella judgments on the staff until I see who everybody is because everybody has a, a different role. Everybody has a specific role. Like people will talk about the defense. Well, Scott Brooks comes in. He's not a defensive guy. Okay. Well, there are four or five, six other coaches on the staff. Roy Rogers comes in. He's a big man coach. He's not going to be you know, working with Dame and CJ on defending, you know, the backcourt uh, with, you know, whoever. Right. So, what that whole staff looks like to me is is going to tell the picture and each different part of that. So the roster could look very similar. It could look very different. We'll find out with today, the 10th. We'll find out in about 19 days yeah. on draft night. I think <laughs> if there is going to be something big, I think it's going to happen around the draft, give or take a day or two, um, because they don't have – they can't trade this year's pick until they have the rights to that player, just like last year. So last year they traded the pick that went to Houston that eventually ended up in Detroit, but they didn't tr trade that pick until after they had the quote draft rights to Isaiah Stewart. It's going to be the same thing this year. They can trade this year's pick, but after they have the draft rights to another player. Right. So there could be a deal like they did with Covington last year where it's worked out a day or two in advance. And then they know that they're drafting for Washington or Milwaukee or whoever it might be. So I think if, if there is a big trade, it's going to happen sometime in the next three weeks. But we don't know what the roster is going to look like. We don't know if Norman Powell's back or what they're going to do uh, with the you know mid-level exception or the biannual exception or any of that. So a lot of this, as you know, it's just, okay, what, what can we project? What makes sense? Two things with that, though, is just because it makes sense doesn't mean it's going to happen. Because there are a lot of things that seem like they make sense and they never happen because maybe they make too much sense. And the other thing is... With Neil Olshay, I have never heard a deal before it happened, yeah. right? So any of these things that we hear, all this this smoke around Ben Simmons, that's just conjecture. That's just people talking about it. Yeah. Maybe there's something else that we have no idea about, and that's that's kind of what I'm hoping for. Yeah, that's that's right. Yeah. Um, if something happens, we're probably going to hear it from Woj as it's happening uh, yep. and, and not before. Uh, that's a good call. I'll say one more quick thing and, and then I'll get sure. you out of here, which is uh, I just want to get on the record to say that I'm feeling vaguely encouraged by the coaching so far. Um, trying to keep an open mind. I, you know, things have been rough for Blazers fans lately, but with, with Billups hearing the way he's talked about his approach to coaching, thinking about Scott Brooks, trying to keep an open mind about that too. And with Roy yeah. Rogers, I'm feeling vaguely encouraged. And I also think to defense, some of it's definitely scheming and, you know, what do you ask your players to do? But a huge part of defense is effort, which comes to the players want to have to do it and the coaching staff motivating the players to do it and to say some version of, hey, if you're going to gas yourself a little on defense, it's okay that maybe you don't have as much for offense, right? For example, and like that motivational part of coaching is is very difficult to tricky balance. So yeah, to, to that point, like Nick Batum was one of the most polarizing people on, on the Blazers in, in the time that I've been here and covering the team. He'd give you you know, 18 and nine one night and then three and six the next. Yep. But I saw that as 
the effort that he's putting in on defense was taken away from his offense. And that's okay if you have a balanced enough offense. And the what you're talking about with accountability, that's so critical. It's so important. We see what Phoenix has been able to do with, with that. Um, and when you have multiple options on offense, and it's not just Dame and CJ or Dame or CJ, if one of them is having a night off, they can afford to put a little extra effort in on that end. 55 points in a playoff game obviously doesn't mean you're going to win. Right. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Uh, well, Travis, thank you. If people wanted to reach out to you and, and bother you on Twitter or find your work, uh, how would they do that? <laughs> yeah, Twitter Twitter's always welcome, at Travis Demers, D-E-M-E-R-S, uh, Rip City Drive with Travis and Chad, weekdays 3 to 6 uh, on 620 Rip City Radio. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm always around. Awesome. Travis, appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks for the time. Thank you so much to Travis Demers. It was awesome to have him on and for him taking the time. Uh, But I'd be remiss if I didn't thank you all for listening. Uh, Ryan, I hope that you are relaxing during your vacation. I forget what he said he was doing, camping or doing something fun. Uh, But if you want to reach out to us, you can always do that. You can hit up Ryan at The Witty Ryan on Twitter. I'm at GoldnerPDX and the show is at like the blazers but you can also find us at we like the blazers.com or just punch in we like the blazers into pretty much any podcatcher and we should pop up uh thank you all again for listening thank you to travis excited to see what the coming weeks bring and how this team continues to flesh out ryan and i will obviously be talking about that next episode but until next time thank you all again and go blazers Let us blast off then. I'm good to go whenever you are. It's funny you said blast off because my my three-year-old, everything is three-to-one blast off lately. Oh, so really? that, was, that was kind of funny. <laughs> that, I have the maturity of a three-year-old, so it makes sense. So do I. It yeah. works out well. Okay. <laughs>